That song has been on repeat in my house for the last couple of weeks, and every time we get to a certain part in that song, it's like there's something in my spirit that comes rising up, and I'm like, yes, yes. When it gets to that part of you get the glory, and I'm just like, yes. In the breaking, you get the glory. In the breakthrough, you get the glory. It's all for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. This morning, I I did not have plans to share this up front, but my plans always get changed, it seems like. I've had a prayer this morning that God would do a fresh work in my heart in a way that I've not experienced in 10 to 15 years. And here's the passage that God keeps bringing me back to. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. And there's a part in me where there's almost a safety part where it's like I feel like if I could just share this, and it's almost like God keeps saying, no, what we're getting into, you've not stepped into that part yet. I keep going back to what God has been prompting me with over the last six months, and that is my prayer life is woefully deficient for the path that God has us on. So I'm going to ask you from the very beginning, pray for me. Pray for me that God continues to do a work in my heart because the only thing I get a chance to share with you is what God has been pouring into my heart in the weeks that led up to this. So I know that is maybe not the way that most church services start with the pastor asking for your prayer, but I don't know of anything other to do than to say, I need your prayers because I believe God has us at the edge of some incredible things that I can hardly stand it. I am so excited about So let's pause right now. Let's go to God before we even get into the message. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we need a miracle. It's not that you have not done incredible things, but God, we we need fresh grace for the fresh opportunities that you have before us right now. And God, if your spirit does not move, we walk into a service and we walk out unchanged. So Lord, we pray, we ask you from the very beginning, God, move in our hearts. Do something fresh in our spirit that we look back and we say, that was not on my agenda for this morning. God, we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to start the message by painting a visual and a verbal picture of one of the most famous statements that was ever given by the Apostle Paul found over in 2 Timothy chapter 4. In this particular section, the Apostle Paul is reflecting back over the course of his life, reflecting over his time in prison, reflecting over the journey that Jesus has had him on, and at the same time, reflecting on the fact that his life is just about to come to an end. And here's what he says. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. I can only imagine that every single believer in this room would one day love to get to the end of your life and to be able to say with certainty, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, and I have kept the faith. It is a powerful statement. But it is even more powerful when you think of the backstory that came with that. 
When the Apostle Paul was called by Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus gave some very specific pieces of what the calling on Paul's life was supposed to look like. Here's what Jesus said. He is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Here it is. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. With the calling came the promise of pain. Suffering is coming. Trials are coming. Difficulty is coming. And that prediction was 100% correct. The apostle Paul, he did preach before the sons of Israel, and they stoned him for it. He did stand before kings as they were moving him from one prison to the next. He did take the gospel to the Gentiles, but in the process of that, he was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and imprisoned and forgotten, and he was rejected. Now listen again to the last part of that promise. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Think about that for just a moment. Where would the church be today if every believer at the moment of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they had the promise to go with it, I will show you how much you're going to suffer for me. Here's how it's been presented many times. The gospel has often been presented with all of the blessings without any of the cost. And if we're going to talk about how do we join with God in his activity, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, the gospel is free, but getting it there is not. It cost us along the way. In Paul's life, it cost him deeply with beatings and imprisonment and rejection along the way. I looked at this text, and the thought that came to mind is for the Apostle Paul to do what God called him to do. Each day, multiple times in that day, he had to choose between living for self or will I live and serve others. And he chose to serve others. So now he gets to the end of his life and he says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. That is a phrase that is taken from the Old Testament sacrificial system. The people were required to give three different offerings. There was a burnt offering, then a grain offering, and then at the very end, the final offering was a drink offering. So in Paul's analogy, he's suggesting two things. First, he gave everything that God asked him to give. This is his final offering. There's something else suggested. He returned the full blessing. Giving an offering is an act of worship whereby the people of God can return a portion of what God has entrusted to them. And here's what he's saying in this text. He's at the end of his life. He says, now my life is being poured out. In other words, God, I've not just returned a portion. I'm returning it all. Everything you put into me, I'm now putting back. The only thing I have left is my life. And he said, now my life is being poured out as a drink offering. He said, education you gave me, I gave it away to others. The grace that you showed me, I've shown it to others. 
The gifts that you put in me, I've used those gifts in service for others. The gospel that you shared with me, I've now entrusted that gospel with others. I've got nothing left. My entire life has now been poured out. Everything you poured into me, I've now poured back out for others. What a powerful, what a strong, and at the same time, what a sobering thought. It's powerful to think that somebody gets to the end of the life and they can say, I gave it all back. It's incredible to think that he said, I'm not withholding anything. But listen, here's the sobering part. Many Christians live unfulfilled lives because God has poured far more into them than they've been willing to pour out into others. Sometimes believers will come to me and say, I don't know what's wrong. I just don't feel like I'm growing in the way I used to grow. Part of the passion is gone. Part of my excitement is gone. Here's one of those things. What has God put into you that he entrusted to you that you're the steward of that he's saying, now pour that out into someone else? Somebody might say, but, but Paul, I don't have much. Well, here's where we start as the foundation. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I know he's already poured in. He poured in his spirit at salvation, John chapter 14. He poured in every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, Ephesians 1. He poured in spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12. He poured in personal talents and individual passions and life experience. By the way, you didn't go through what you went through just so that you could benefit from it. He let you walk the path because he knew that there was going to be other people he was going to line up in front of you that you're now to share with them what he taught you on that part of the journey. He's poured in resources. He poured in training and time and truth. He has poured in love and grace and mercy and hope and compassion and forgiveness. He's poured a lot in. The question is, what have we been willing to pour out if the Christian life is not about us living for God, but God living his life through us, then that has to change the way we see serving others. It has to change how we see pouring out into others. When we serve, it's not just a job. When we give, it's not out of obligation. When, when we find a place that we can work in the community and sometimes we come back and there's a feeling of, I feel better after doing that. Did you know the ultimate thing is not that we feel better on the other side. That's just a great benefit of serving others. The, the question has to be, what are we pouring back out? That leads into our key truth for this morning. Serving others is about faithfully pouring out what God has poured in. Serving others is about faithfully pouring out what God has poured in. It is the essence of God living his life through us. So as we get into this text and some of those around it, I'm going to ask a number of questions. What does it look like for us to pour out what God has poured in? How do we join him daily, practical ways? How do we join with God in what he is doing? How do we reframe serving not as obligation but as opportunity for us to walk and to live on mission with God. I invite you, if you're not already there, to join me in Mark's Gospel, chapter number 10. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 10, will be in verses 42 through 45. 
I want to speak on the subject of how can we join him? It's one thing for us to say, what is God's heart? What has God been doing? Where is God leading? All of that's great. But if that does not lead to the next step of how do we join with that? How do we begin to live out what God is working in? We've, we've missed the next step. So here's what the text says, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 10, verses 42 through 45. Calling them to himself, speaking of his disciples, Jesus said to them, if you know that those who are recognized as rulers of Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them, but it is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask that your spirit guide us into all truth. God, may we walk away from this text and from meeting with you and worshiping you. May we walk away changed. In Jesus' name, amen. This last Sunday, I shared a small statement about where I believe God is leading Sherwood in the years ahead. I shared that I believe God is leading us on a path to see people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. Awakened by the gospel. That is, unless the gospel is the one that brings the change, you and I cannot do it. Awakened by the gospel to a life, not a weekend obligation, not a religion, to a life of knowing Christ and making him known. Intimacy leading right into mission. I unpacked a little bit about that statement in some broad categories of how it can be lived out. And we talked about that in prayer, discipleship, kingdom, and leadership, worship, education, and outreach. I shared that this morning we were going to talk a little bit more about how it is that we can join with God in his activity. And for us to do that, we're going to set it up not only in this text, but also in three very specific texts out of the Gospel of Mark. One of those is the one we just read, where Jesus is describing why he came. Here's why this is important. If we want to join in God's activity, if we want to know what he is up to in this world, if we want it to be that he is changing our lives, then we need to remember why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Because why he came is what he is doing. Did you hear that? Why he came is what he is doing. So here's three passages that I believe are in your notes. But the first is this. Mark chapter 1, verse 38, Jesus said, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also. For that is what I came for. He came to preach. That's the first part. Second passage, Mark chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come, there's that word again, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He came to call sinners to repentance. Third passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 45. It's what we just read a moment ago. Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. Now, 
in accordance with that, I want to give one more verse. It's found over in John 17, 18. Jesus said, he's praying back to the Father, and he says this, As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You can look throughout the New Testament, you find multiple passages where Jesus is sending his disciples out to preach the gospel, sending his disciples out to call people to repentance, sending them out while, listen to this, while the ransom has been paid in full at Calvary by Jesus, Jesus is still calling his followers to live a life of giving and of service for others. Why he came is what he is doing. But none of that comes naturally to us. It didn't come naturally to the original 12 either. In fact, in this text, if you were to go back in the previous section, you'll find out that Jesus has just explained to them about him going to the cross and what was waiting for him once he's in Jerusalem. And the first thing that happens is two of his disciples start asking him. They come, pull him off to the side, and they're like, hey, when you go to your kingdom, can you allow one of us to sit on your right side and the other on your left side? In other words, hey, I'm ignoring the fact that you just said you're about to suffer for humanity, but when you enter your kingdom, would you hook a brother up? Give me a spot of power, a spot of prestige. Give, give me a spot so that I can rule right alongside of you there. And this was Jesus' reply. His reply here is that they had admired the glory and the authority of the Roman rulers. They, they were following the wrong example. So he says in this, whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first of you shall be slave of all. It's an incredible text because Jesus redefined greatness in this text. Instead of greatness being defined by money or power or fame, instead of greatness being defined by expertise or influence or even proven success, Jesus redefined greatness in terms of service. Did you know the pattern of Scripture is authority follows humility? Authority follows humility. A person must learn to be a servant before they can be entrusted as a ruler. You find that being the case for Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, Timothy, the qualifications of an elder, even Jesus himself, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Unless we know how to be under authority, we will not know how to exercise authority. So Jesus redefined greatness, but also he opened greatness to everyone. If greatness is measured by money or exceptional gifting or the size of opportunity, then it's only going to be in the hands of a small few. But if greatness is defined by how many people you serve, that's open to everyone. There's always room for somebody to be willing to serve. A third thing we saw in that text is Jesus modeled greatness through his service. Here's an interesting fact. There's 35 specifically recorded miracles of Jesus in the Gospels. With the exception of three, all of the rest were done in service to others. Let's just package that together for just a moment. Over 90% of Jesus' recorded miracles were done in service to someone else. He taught his disciples that they were to serve others. 
He modeled service before his disciples. He redefined greatness by the number of people you serve. He indicated that part of why he came was to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. When praying back to the Father, he said, as you have sent me, so I have sent them. So if Jesus is the one that we pursue, if our prayer is, God, make me like your son, if our heart is that we are discipled in a way that Jesus discipled the original 12, then service is not optional for a follower of Jesus Christ. It is a part of what it looks like to faithfully pursue him. So here's that key truth again. Serving others is about faithfully pouring out what God has poured in. Now this is an important distinction for us to grasp. As long as believers view discipleship by how much we know instead of how closely we follow, we will always miss the mark of what God desires to do through us. It's not how much truth's in your head. It's how much truth makes it out through your feet. Are you walking it out? Are you living it out? Is, is it changing how you live your life every single day? Following Jesus is going to take us outside of this worship service. It's going to take us out into the world. It's going to take us outside of our connect groups. It's going to take us outside of our Bible study and outside of our prayer time. It's going to take us outside of our Christian cocoons so that it forces us to engage the very world that Jesus came and died for. That's how we are to go about joining him. In fact, listen to just a number of these other New Testament verses that speak of this idea of service. Ephesians 2.10, it says, It is God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend these lives in helping others. Philippians 2.4, Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Galatians 5.13, For you were called to freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, God has shown you his grace in many different ways, so be good servants and use whatever gift he has given you in a way that will best serve each other. Helping others, looking out for others, serving others. If Ephesians and Philippians and Galatians and 1 Peter are correct, if Jesus' example and his teachings mean anything for us, if we desire that our lives are transformed into the image of Christ, then this idea of service has to be a regular part of what it looks like to faithfully follow our Savior. Thank you for that one amen. So before... Before somebody says, all right, Paul, I can agree with that. Like, I, I get it. it. It is right there in Scripture. There, there's no denying that. Before we say, yes, we get it, I want you to hear what that means. I want you to carefully listen to this. It means the church cannot turn a deaf ear when people around the world are starving going through genocide, in need of clean water, are being unreached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As the Father sent 
the Son. The Son has sent us. We have been blessed to be a blessing. It means the church cannot sit idly as our community faces problems in crime, homelessness, racial tensions, the destruction of the family, different addictions. God calls his church to engage. Part of our engaging, part of him leading us on a path to see people awakened by the gospel to a life of knowing Christ and making him known is that we run towards the messes. We run towards the problems. We meet people in that moment of need with good news, with practical ways of helping and serving. We love people in the gospel of Christ. That's a part of what it looks like. It means when other churches are struggling, we are called to encourage and strengthen God's people. It means when people are burdened under the demands of, the, of religion, we run to them with the freedom that is found in Christ. It means that when the enemy is killing and stealing and destroying by sin, instead of the church tossing them out like trash, it means we love them like our Savior has loved us. We don't tear them down with our words, but rather we build them up in our prayers. It means that we extend grace even when it hurts because that's what it looks like when he's living his life in and through us. You say, Paul, I don't have the ability to do that. That's a great first step because none of us do. When you're talking about living this out, remember what we got to in one of our books a, a little while ago, a, a statement by Major Ian Thomas. The commands of God are written to the life of Christ in you. You cannot do it yourself. I cannot do it myself. I, if you're talking about loving sacrificially, that's hard. There's people I don't even like. There, there's people like, and I, I'm over here and I'm like, God, what does that look like? I'm just being honest with you. Is it okay that we're honest in church? I don't know that I'm the only one who struggles with that. So there's moments along the way where I'm faced with the decision, will you serve? Will you die to self in this moment so that I might live through you? My question has always got to be, God, what's getting in the way of that? You know what often gets in my way? Pride and selfishness. Pride, that's below me. Selfishness, I got something else I'd rather do than walk in the spirit in that moment. When I say that that song, We Need a Miracle, has been on repeat in my house, that's what I'm saying. Like, God, I need a miracle. I need you to do a fresh work in my heart. I need you to do something to me where I'm not dialing it in from home, but rather there's bringing me back to my knees again, back to the truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ, reawakened by the joy of what it looks like to live an intimate relationship with him so that when I'm facing that moment, I don't stop and say that's as far as I'm willing to follow. But I say, Lord, take me further. How do we join him? We join him by faithfully pouring out what he has poured in. I've already been pretty honest with you at this point. I'll be honest a little bit more. 
Where I want to be is not where I'm at right now. I want to walk so close and clean with Christ that when the problems of this world press down, grace of God flows out. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm asking God. I'm asking God to do something fresh in my heart. So how do we act on what we've heard so far? Several different ways. First, know God by spending time with God where the focus is on God. Know God by spending time with God where the focus is on God. Everything God desires to do in and through your life, that includes serving others. He will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Everything. It begins in relationship, it moves forward in relationship, and one day it will culminate in relationship. It's relationship all along the way. Second part, serve in areas that align with your passions and gifting. Here's what I mean by that. Prayerfully ask God to open your eyes to where he would have you to serve. If you don't know what your gifting is, let us help you discover what your gifting is. Our our primary area of service should always flow out of what our gifting is. That is, when you're serving in that place that God has specifically gifted you in, here's what will happen. You get excited about that area of service. It it energizes you. It's not that you don't get tired like everybody else gets tired, but you get tired maybe in the work. You don't get tired of the work. There's a difference between the two. Our primary area of service should align with our passions and the gifting. But then also, there can be secondary areas of service that align with need. And what I mean by that is sometimes we need to get 20 people to go clean up the fellowship hall. And your gift might not be service, but it's going to take 30 minutes. Would you join in? Okay, we're not talking like serve in that same place for the rest of your life. Primary area of service aligns with gifting and passion. Secondary, you're looking and saying, God, is there a spot along the way that you would have me to step into and to serve? If you don't know what your gifting is, stop by the next step desk right after the service. (laughs) Share with them. Share with them, I'm looking for hundreds of ways to serve. And I guarantee you, somebody will be right there. They'll say, let us hook you up with a couple of ways here. All right, here's the next one. Give faithfully and prayerfully consider helping with the Meet the Need campaign. As I've already shared, the gospel is free. Taking it to the ends of the earth is not. We can accomplish far more together than what we could ever accomplish alone. And I praise God. This is a giving church. I praise God for that. That is exciting to me. Last week, I mentioned the 2022 Meet the Need campaign. That was the first time it's been brought up this year. And here's what I wanted to share again. By giving towards that, here's just some areas. You're able to participate in what God is doing right here at Sherwood locally. You're able to participate in church plants in different sin cities around North America. You're able to help develop the next generation of leaders, help establish a church planting residency program, as well as getting gospel-centered resources to millions of people around the world. That's a lot of bang for the buck. That's good opportunity right there. 
Now, if you're new, like me, to the Meet the Need campaign, it also might be really good for me to let people know. That's a one-year commitment that we're talking about. Each year, we come back and give an update on the financial progress as well as any remaining debt that is there and give people an opportunity again to say, how would God have me to be a part of it in this upcoming year? I think that's great. Now, here's another wonderful piece. Last week was our first week with our commitment cards being turned in. And I just found out this last week an update on our 2021 Meet the Need campaign. Here's a cool slide for you. $848,000 was pledged as of last week. $1,008,000 has been given. 19% above what had been pledged. And I'm grateful for that. I am grateful to God for the generosity of God's people. That is one way. It's in giving. Here's another way. Invite others to join in this faith journey. If you know of people who do not know Christ, if you know of people who are looking for a church home, I encourage you, invite that person to join you. A couple of weeks ago, I gave a statistic that right at 75% of people within a five-mile radius of Sherwood Baptist Church do not have any church home that they are connected to. I also shared another statistic, and that is over 50% of those people who are not currently churched are open to a conversation if they were simply invited. Could it be that God put you in that person's life so that through the simple invitation, they might come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? Here's the final one there. Leverage social media and opportunities for the sake of the gospel. Leverage them. I have what I can only refer to as a love-hate relationship with social media. A few years ago, I was attending a creatives conference in Nashville, and before going to this conference, I was planning on getting off of all social media. I was like, I'm done, it's too time-consuming, I've got other things I'd rather be a part of. And I happened to go into this one breakout session where a guy was talking about social media. And he asked this question, if you knew that 80% of the people in your city would spend four hours in the exact same park every day, do you think it'd be important for your church to have a gospel influence in that park? And we're like, all like, yeah, makes sense. He says 80% of adults spend average of four hours a day on social media. How are you engaging them in the gospel? So here's what happened on that. I went in saying, I need to get rid of social media. I came out with an Instagram account on the other side. <laughs> that greatly backfired on me in that moment. But here's, here's the reason that I share that with you. Here's the reason. Some people, they, they say, Paul, you post the oddest things. Did you know I got an actual strategy in how I post? And here's part of my strategy. If you're a pastor, people expect every single thing you post to be from Scripture. So here's what happens. They start strolling through, and they're like, Pastor Paul, another scripture. So here's what I do. I sneak it in on them. I'll put a picture of my dog. Did you know there's people? Did you know there, there are dog people out there that they will not comment on anything else I have on social media? I put a picture of sugar on there, and I'm like, that's the most beautiful dog I've ever seen, and they just engage. I'm like, you're right, it is a beautiful dog. Okay, there's people out there 
that their family picture, their family people, they love any type of a post that has family. There's some who like outdoor scenery. I give them some outdoor scenery. There's some who love quotes from books. I'm going to give you a quote from a book. And here's what'll happen. All along the way, I'm like bringing them into the feed, bring them into the feed. Bam, I'm going to drop the sword on them. I give them a word from the word. You think I'm kidding? Go back and look on my feed. I, I'm just sharing with you that you can't just let it drift out. Think through and say, God, you gave me the platform. How do I use it for your glory? How do we get truth out to people who might never step into this? How do we keep sowing seeds of God's word in people's life so that when the time is right, the seed begins to sink in and all of a sudden lives are changed? It's not just social media. Leverage the opportunities God has given you for the sake of the gospel. That's a way that we can join with him and many times redeem something that has often been used for bad and use it for good. So I'm going to finish with three statements of clarity here. First statement, need does not determine call. There's needs everywhere. Did you know every night Jesus went to sleep, there were still other people around who could be healed and needed the gospel? Did you know there's multiple times where people were clamoring for his attention, and he says, it's time to go to another city after he spent time alone with the Father. Here's the thing. He moved in conjunction with where the Father was leading him. Need does not determine call. Second thought, everyone is not called to everything. Part of the beauty of Christ's body is the diversity of Christ's body. God did not gift everyone with every gift, nor does he prompt everyone to serve in every way. Romans chapter 12, 4 through 8, it talks about the fact, for just as we have many members in one body, and all members do not, do not have the same function. So we who are many are one body of Christ, individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ, there's different gifts According to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. It is okay with everybody not being called to do everything. And here's the last point of clarity. Serve according to the gifts and grace given you. If we're not careful, we can get called up in gift projection or gift jealousy. Gift projection is being upset with other people because they're not burdened by the same things or they're not serving in the same ways. And, and we kind of slide this in and we say things like, if they were really passionate about God, they'd be doing this. You know what? Sometimes they could be passionate about God but called to do something that you're not called to do. That's okay. And then there's gift jealousy. That is ignoring the gift that God has given you because you think it might be inferior because you want the gift somebody has given somebody else because you feel like that's a better gift. Hey, be who God made you to be. Every time you try to do something outside of who God made you to be, you're going to get frustrated. It's not going to bring about the results that you were hoping for. And at the end of the day, you find yourself in places where you're like, how did I get here? Like, this isn't even fun. This isn't what I feel like I'm supposed to be giving my life towards. Serve according to the gifts and the grace that God has given you. So I have given a lot 
in today's message for people to chew on. Lots of next steps, lots of practical steps, lots of ways to be involved. So here's my question as we're closing. How is God prompting you to join with him in his activity? What gifts has God poured into you that he's wanting you to pour out into others? Where has God put an unusual burden in your heart that you're saying, why is no one else stepping up into this area? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been a believer for a while and you sense God is burdening you and calling you to step into something deeper. Step into something that is fresh in walking with him. Not, not just going through the motions because that's what you know to do. But getting along with God again and saying, God, my schedule's open. My heart's open. My time's open. Wherever you're leading, God, may I be willing to follow. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to bow with me for just a moment. His head's bowed and eyes are closed. There's going to be our pastors coming down to the end of the different aisles and getting in place, our praise team is going to be taking their place on the stage. But I want to give you a moment just to process with God what you've heard today. Asking God, are, are there things that he has been prompting you in that you've continued to say, no, not now, I'd rather not. And maybe he's saying, this is one more word to say it's time. It might be when I'm talking here about what it looks like for people to be awakened by the gospel. You might say, I don't even know what that means. Maybe, maybe today you're saying, I need to take a first step towards what it looks like to step into my created purpose and my potential in Christ. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're facing. But as we sing this song at the very end. I want you to remember once again, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. We need God to do in and through us what we could never do for ourselves. So I'm going to ask you if you would, stand where you are right now. I'm going to have a word of prayer over you. And I'm just going to ask you to respond as the Spirit of God is prompting you. Heavenly Father, we recognize once again today that apart from your spirit moving and hearts and minds, apart from you burdening us with your burdens, apart from us seeing what you're seeing and being moved by what moves you, then God, we're not going to engage the way that you're calling us to. God, help us to not only be people who know truth, help us be people who live truth. There's a city around us that is in need of the gospel. There are hurting people in every direction who need somebody to be willing to stop long enough to say, I'm here and God loves you. How can I help? God, you've, you have poured more gifts and more talents and more ability into this room than we could even fathom. 
God, may we use it for your sake and glory. May, may our lives faithfully pour out what you have poured in. God, you have to do it. You have to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you respond with him?